Welcome into the Rebound Rundown. Today is Monday, February 27th, 2023. I'm your host, Paul Fritchner, and this is produced by Chatterbox Sports. This is your Daily Digest College Basketball Show where you can get your info on Cincinnati area college hoops every Monday through Friday in short episodes. Well, I warned you on Friday that you're going to need a bunch of screens, and this may have been the best weekend of the regular season with buzzer beaters, historic comebacks, and upsets all over the place. Also, conference tournaments start tonight with the Atlantic Sun. Two weeks from right now, you'll be listening to the Rebound Rundown the day after Selection Sunday, and the bracket has been released. For now, though, let's talk about this past weekend. Number 16, Xavier put together maybe their most dominant performance of the season against a high major opponent on Friday night at Seton Hall. After only beating the Pirates by three at Cintas, the Musketeers won by 22 at the Prudential Center, 82-60. Except for the first four minutes of the second half, this was a dominant game that was never in doubt. It was the fewest points Xavier has allowed against a high major team this year. Xavier carried a 19-point lead into halftime behind 13 first-half points from Sule Boom. He finished with 23 points on the night, the 12th time this year he's scored at least 20 points. Maybe most importantly for Xavier, without Zach Fremantle, Boom was the only player who played more than 33 minutes. In fact, Colby Jones only played 19 minutes because he picked up two early fouls, and he scored 19 points in those 19 minutes. The most eye-popping development over the last couple of weeks for Max has been their improvement on the defensive end. As a team, their defensive ranking on Ken Palm is 76th, up 26 spots from where it was at 102nd on February 15th. According to Bart Torvik, since February 1st, Xavier is top 30 in both offense and defense. For as much as I had talked about Xavier's defense being an issue this year, they're starting to turn it around at the right time. As I record this, Xavier sits 18th on Ken Palm. That's up from 23rd prior to the Seton Hall game. By the metrics, despite the close losses to Villanova and Marquette, Xavier looks to be trending very much in the positive direction as we get to the most important month of the season. Xavier is basically guaranteed that they will play in the Thursday night session at Madison Square Garden in the quarterfinal round of the Big East tournament as either the two or the three seed. Xavier and Providence are battling for those two seeds, and they play each other this coming Wednesday night at Providence. That was all Friday. Saturday got started with the Miami Redhawks blowing out the Ohio Bobcats to win their third game in a row and their fourth in their last six games. Miami was only up two at half, but outscored Ohio by 15 in the second half to win 85-68. to this was Miami's final home game of the year, and it was a shocker because Ohio was 9-6 and six in the MAC and closed at around a 5.5-point favorite. Miami has all of a sudden played itself into a three-way tie for 8th place in the MAC standings along with Eastern Michigan and Central Michigan. Now remember, only the top eight teams make the MAC tournament, so there's a lot to play for this week if you're Miami. They play at Western Michigan on Tuesday, a team they've already beaten, and then at Buffalo on Friday, a tougher opponent, to close the regular season. Northern Kentucky ended the regular season strong with a nine-point win over Oakland on Saturday afternoon. NKU started well, but Oakland went on a 16-0 run over the last five minutes of the first half to take a nine-point lead into the break. From there, the Norse responded with a 14-2 and a 12-2 run in the second half to take the lead and never give it back. Four different NKU players scored in double figures, including Sam Vinson, who led the way with 19, Marquez Warwick with 14, Trey Robinson with 12, and Trayvon Faulkner with 10. 
Chris Brannon was again a monster on the boards with 11 rebounds and didn't miss a shot from the field. He went three for three, finished with seven points. Those two teams will now turn right back around and play each other. That's NKU and Oakland. They're playing each other on Thursday night at 7 at Truist Arena in the Horizon League quarterfinals. I'll have Rick Broering on later in the week to talk more about that game. Wright State beat Detroit 82-71 in the Raiders' final regular season game on Saturday. Trey Calvin, who has had such a good season, scored 34 points to lead the Raiders to the win. Wright State will host Green Bay on Tuesday night at the Nutter Center in the first round of the Horizon League tournament. Louisville lost to Georgia Tech 83-67. The Yellow Jackets got some revenge after they were the victims of Louisville's first ACC win of the season. That was back on February 1st. In news elsewhere around the Bluegrass State, it looks like Kentucky is firing on all cylinders right now. They laid the hammer down on Auburn, beating the Tigers 86-54. I'm not going to spend a ton of time in this spot on Kentucky because I'm planning on having a Kentucky guest on tomorrow's show to talk more in depth about the Wildcats and their turnaround. But as far as Saturday's game went against Auburn, Oscar Shibway had 22 points and 17 rebounds. Antonio Reeves had 21 points. Kaysen Wallace added 19. And Jacob Toppin went for a double-double with 13 points and 12 boards. Remember, this is a Kentucky team that was ranked number one on Ken Palm to start the season and brought back the National Player of the Year in Oscar Shibway. For a majority of the season, they looked out of sorts. They were bad offensively. They didn't have much identity. Now, with Cason Wallace playing as well as he has been lately, Kentucky has reeled off four straight wins. They have five quad one wins overall. And on Sunday, they were 20th in the net. That's five spots higher than Xavier. This is shaping up to be a Kentucky team that finds itself maybe in the 7-8 seed range, and if they can win that first game, a tough matchup for a 1-2 or seed in the second round. Dayton took a bad loss to George Mason on Saturday night at UD Arena, 74-69, but at this point in the season, bad losses are relative for Dayton. The Flyers will need to win the Atlantic 10 tournament to get into the NCAA tournament, but a win would have kept them in sole possession of second place in the conference standings. Instead, now Dayton is tied with St. Louis and Fordham for second place with two games to go. If you've heard me say it once, I've said it a million times. It seems to me like Dayton is just as likely to beat a team in the tournament as they are to lose a game like this to George Mason. They've lacked consistency, and they've often played to the level of their opponent. Dayton has LaSalle on Tuesday in their final home game and St. Louis on Friday to end the regular season. Despite this loss to George Mason, Dayton still could be my pick to win the A-10 tournament, but we'll see how this week shakes out before I make any kind of predictions. The only area game on Sunday was Cincinnati, and the Bearcats took a 76-73 loss at Memphis in their final quad one game of the regular season. After trailing by 11 at halftime, Cincinnati made it interesting in the second half. The problem was that it felt like every time Cincinnati made a run, Memphis had an answer. UC could just never quite get over the hump when they needed to make that push. They did end up outscoring Memphis by 8 in the final 20 minutes, but that wasn't enough. It was a back-and-forth game in the final two minutes, but Cincinnati missed some key free throws twice They missed the front end of a 1-1. That's potentially leaving four points out there on the board. David DeJulius led Cincinnati with 16 points, but he was held scoreless in the second half until there was only one minute to go. Cincinnati now has a week off before finishing the regular season with SMU next Sunday at Fifth Third Arena. Assuming UC wins that game against a quad-four Mustangs team, they'll finish with 11 wins in the AAC. 
Temple is chasing Cincinnati for the four seed, and the Owls could tie UC with 11 wins since Temple has two games this week. However, the four and five seeds play each other in the first game of the conference tournament, so it really doesn't matter in the end who gets what seed, since they'll likely both be playing each other in that game anyway. National Nuggets now, and like I mentioned at the top of the show, this may have been the best weekend of the regular season, so there is a ton to catch you up on. Let's start from the top on Saturday. Villanova stayed hot, beating Creighton by 12 at the Wells Fargo Center for their fifth win in their last six games. The Wildcats are rolling with Justin Moore back in the lineup. Villanova still likely is going to have a very hard time building an NCAA tournament resume. It's just too little, too late. I did some deep dives into the Villanova Wildcats resume yesterday, trying to read some bracketologists and see if maybe there was some room, if they could get in, if they didn't win the Big East tournament. But pretty much... Most people are in agreement that Villanova is going to have to win the Big East tournament despite some quad one wins down the stretch here. Going to have to go to Madison Square Garden and win to get in. Very similar to the way that Xavier closed the 2019 regular season. Villanova closing strong. They look like a different team with Justin Moore. But like I said, probably too little too late. Don't want to count anything out, but probably too little too late. Number 24, TCU, just barely squeaked by Texas Tech, beating the Red Raiders 83-82 in Lubbock. Number 18, UConn, beat St. John's 95-86 in front of a raucous and very pro-UConn crowd at Madison Square Garden. Oklahoma beat number 23, Iowa State, by 11. Number 2, Alabama, hung on late to beat Arkansas by 3. And then we had our first major moment of the day. In Tucson, number seven, Arizona and Arizona State were locked in a tight one after the Sun Devils had rallied from down 10 with 2.4 seconds left, trailing by two after Umar Balo had hit just one of two free throws for Arizona. Desmond Cambridge did this for Arizona State on CBS. Now for the baseball pass if you're Arizona. Balo makes it, two-point lead, three seconds left. No timeouts. Neal inbounds. Desmond Cambridge. Oh! He got it! He won it! Arizona State has done it! Desmond Cambridge from well beyond half court won it for Arizona State on the road. What a thriller that was. Number 14, Kansas State beat Oklahoma State by five, and in a game that had huge Big 12 title implications, number nine, Baylor beat number eight, Texas, 81-72 to in Waco. Then in Lawrence, number seven, Kansas survived a late scare from West Virginia to win by two, and it looks like Kansas now has the inside track to the Big 12 title, with Kansas and Texas meeting on Saturday in their final game of the regular season. Mississippi State handed number 25 Texas A&M a seven-point loss and a crushing blow to any slim hopes the Aggies had to try and share an SEC title with Alabama. Then came the next buzzer beater as Florida State completed the largest comeback win in ACC history. On the road at number 13 Miami, the Seminoles trailed 54-31 at halftime. With less than five seconds remaining and trailing by one, Miami hit a three to go up by two. That set the table for Florida State's Matthew Cleveland to do this, as called on ESPN2. Miller for three, for the lead. Got it! Final chance, Florida State, Worley. Cleveland for the win! It's good! Matthew Cleveland stuns Miami! 
Miami! Elsewhere in the ACC, North Carolina finally got their first quad one win of the year, beating a sixth-ranked and significantly struggling Virginia team 71-63. Number 11, Tennessee, beat South Carolina by 40. Number 1, Houston, beat East Carolina by 19. Number 10, Marquette, clinched at least a share of the Big East regular season title with a 90-84 win over DePaul. Marquette can win the Big East outright with a win at Butler on Tuesday. Number 17, Indiana went on the road and rallied to beat number 5, Purdue, 79-71 in West Lafayette. Jalen hood Shafino had 35 points for the Hoosiers. Then in the late night games, number 12, Gonzaga, even the season series against number 15, St. Mary's, with a 9-point win. And to cap off the night, Number 22, San Diego State was trailing on the road against New Mexico by one, but they hit a three at the buzzer to win it. Here's how it sounded on CBS Sports Network. That was all just on Saturday. On Sunday, Ohio State snapped their nine-game losing streak and beat Illinois 72-60 in Columbus. Number 20, Providence, beat Georgetown by 20 in D.C. Then in Ann Arbor, with Michigan trailing by three, Hunter Dickinson forced overtime with this three, as heard on CBS. Williams, up top, Dickinson, dangerous pass. Dickinson at the horn. Michigan went on to win by eight in overtime. Also, number four UCLA needed a late surge to win on the road at Colorado by four. Bradley beat Drake to win the Missouri Valley regular season title for the first time in 27 years, and Rutgers won at Penn State by three. The Scarlet Knights trailed by 19 in the second half before rallying to win. No local teams play tonight, so here's what to expect around the country. North Carolina visits Florida State at 7 in a game North Carolina cannot afford to lose. At 9, West Virginia is at Iowa State, and also at 9 in the Big 12, Baylor is at Oklahoma State. As I said earlier, conference tournaments begin tonight, and the first one to get us going is the Atlantic Sun. I'll be trying to give some sort of a preview, even if it's quick, about every conference tournament. Luckily, I have a resident Atlantic Sun expert on retainer, that's Nick Kirby, who follows the league very closely, so I asked him to send me a breakdown of what to expect. Now, you won't be getting this in-depth of a breakdown for every conference, but with it being the first one, and also the only one in action tonight, I'll include the whole write-up. The A-Sun tournament kicks off the conference championship season with an interesting format on Monday night. 7th-seeded North Florida takes on 8th-seeded Bellarmine with the game played at 2nd-seed Liberty's Arena. And 9th-seeded Queens takes on number 10-seed FGCU at number 1-seed Kennesaw State's Arena. The rest of the tournament is played entirely at home sites out of the two play-in games on Monday night. The reason for this was to limit travel some and to make sure the number one seed has as easy of a path as possible. Now that's Kennesaw State, the number one seed. Just four years ago, Kennesaw was 1-28 under first-year head coach Amir Abdur-Rahim. They have slowly built their program back and had a breakout season this year. Kennesaw has never played in a conference championship game. 
Second seed and co-ASUN champ Liberty is the heavy betting favorites, and for good reason. They are number 43 on Ken Palm, nearly 100 spots better than anyone else in the league. They have fifth-year senior star Darius McGee, who is 5'9 with unlimited range. He's currently 10th in the country in Ken Palm's National Player of the Year rankings. The dark horse in this tournament is 10th-seeded Florida Gulf Coast, who needed a Jacksonville loss on the final day of the regular season just to qualify for the tournament. Florida Gulf Coast won at USC and had an incredible non-conference season, but was a major disappointment in the conference season. They are coached by Pat Chambers. You might know that name. He had Penn State rolling on their way to a number six seed before COVID hit. FGCU has a ton of transfers, and you could make a case they are the most talented team in the league. They have the classic feel of a conference tournament being a reset on their season. That's the Atlantic Sun, and that gets started tonight. March Madness is upon us. Stop me if you've heard this before, but Paul's Pick of the Day presented by Betfred Sportsbook went 2-1 this weekend. That's now five of the last six weekends. It's gone at least 2-1. Things started strong on Friday with Nevada barely covering minus 2.5 on the road at Fresno State. On Saturday, Villanova didn't even need the points, winning outright at home against Creighton to push the Pick of the Day streak to four days in a row. But then Sunday, couldn't make it five. The Ohio State moneymaker finally came to an end with the Buckeyes covering for the first time since January 21st. Paul's pick of the day now sits at 26-28 and 28 since it started after the new year. Mondays have not been very kind to us, so we'll see what happens tonight. I'm going to go with Huggy Bear in West Virginia, plus four on the road at Iowa State. That'll do it for today's extended edition of the Rebound Rundown. So much to catch you up on from the weekend. I hope you enjoyed listening. If you did, make sure you go subscribe, leave a rating and a review. You don't want to miss out on anything as we get going here with March. I mentioned this on Friday's show, but if you want daily Cincinnati Reds content in this podcast format for your morning commute, go subscribe to Chatterbox Reds. On today's show, Nick Kirby talked to Reds beat writer Charlie Goldsmith. Well worth your time. Thanks for listening. Enjoy your Monday and the start of conference tournaments, and I'll talk to you tomorrow.